for the mm-hmm. stock market mm-hmm. stock market sentiment and also uh, for the the next few moves for Federal uh-huh. Reserve they do okay. have to cut interest rate but not like a okay. hundred point basis point like uh, Canada and the Bank of Canada. Okay, Stuart, final word to you. We are with the Productivity Council warned yesterday that these cross-border restrictions are weighing heavily on SMEs despite uh, easing of social distancing measures, consumption vouchers and the like. Do you think we're heading for recession here? Uh, yes, I think we probably are. I, I don't know what tea leaves Paul Chan was looking at in February, but it, was, it wasn't the right ones. And a lot of people were discounting his forecast of GDP of two or three percent then i think it's going to be very close to recession in hong kong but of course again it is really really important that the borders get opened up and whether it's to the rest of the world or to china doesn't matter um rest of the world would be ideal because that will bring in foreign tourists and a lot of foreign money but china also brings in a lot of money and and that is essential for the success of the hong kong economy and this is the one thing that is being prevented at the moment okay well thank you very much you heard there Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Dickie Wong, head of research at Kingston Securities, and our international economics correspondent Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Around the markets in the region, the SX200 in Australia is more or less flat. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about a third of a percent at the moment. The Cosby in South Korea also off a third of a percent and futures markets pointing to a loss of about 150 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, sunny and very hot. Maximum temperature of 35 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. It's going to remain persistently very hot and sunny for the rest of this week and early next week. That very hot weather warning is in force once again. It's already 30 degrees, 72% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shirovsky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. Chief Executive John Lee, a judge at the Court of Final Appeal, and several Olympic and Paralympic athletes are among a record 890 people awarded honors by the former Hong Kong leader Carrie Lam. A presentation ceremony will be held later this year. Natalie Ching reports. Seven people are being awarded with the top Grand Bohemian Medal, including Chief Executive John Lee, Executive and Legislative Counselor Tommy Jung, a permanent judge at the Court of Final Appeal Roberto Ribeiro, as well as a leader in the Fujian community Ng Leung Ho. Mr. Lee is praised for his dedicated and distinguished public service over the past 44 years, with the government saying he had made sterling contributions when he was the security chief and chief secretary. A total of 53 people are being awarded Gold Bauhinia or Silver Bauhinia stars. They include a number of current and former government officials, veteran actress Elizabeth Wang and the retired RTHK DJ Ray Kodiro, as well as swimmer Shifan Hohi, fencer Chang Kaolong and cyclist Sarah Lee, who won medals in the Tokyo Olympics. A police constable, So King Cho, who was knifed on July 1st, 2021 outside the Sogo department store in Causeway Bay, was awarded a silver medal for bravery. Turning overseas, Donald Trump is back in the U.S. Capitol for the first time since he left Washington under a cloud. The former president gave a speech to a right-wing think tank amid speculation that he could soon declare his intention to run again for the White House. And he returned to one of the themes which helped him in his 2016 victory, the U.S.-Mexico border. 
to secure our country, we have to secure our borders. And there's never been anything like what's taking place at our border. Our open borders are a gaping wound allowing drugs, gangs, child traffickers, human smugglers, and tens of thousands of dangerous criminals to pour into our country. That's every week. The International Monetary Fund has warned that the world could be teetering on the brink of the worst recession for half a century if the effects of the Ukraine war and high inflation go unchecked. In its latest global outlook, the IMF forecasts that growth will slow to 3.2% this year, falling to 2.9% next year. Its chief economist, Pierre-Olivier Gourinchon, said there were many areas at risk. First, the war in Ukraine could lead to a sudden stop of European gas flows from Russia. Second, Inflation could remain stubbornly high if labor markets remain overly tight, inflation expectations de-anchor, or disinflation proves more costly than expected. Third, tighter global financial conditions could induce a surge in debt distress in emerging market and developing economies. Russia has said it will withdraw from the International Space Station after 2024, ending two decades of cooperation with the United States and other countries. The new head of Roscosmos said his agency would build its own orbiting station. A former NASA astronaut who commanded the ISS, Leroy Chow, said the announcements should be taken with some skepticism. And in sport, England are through to the final of the Women's European Football Championship after beating Sweden 4-0 in Sheffield. They'll take on either Germany or France at Wembley on Sunday. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Danny Gitchings. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about the future of Hong Kong's northern wetlands. The new Environment and Ecology Minister, Jie Chin Wan, says a study of the ecologically sensitive areas in the northern new territories should be finished by the end of ne next year. And authorities will take a fresh look at setting their boundaries. This may result in some buffer areas being freed up for development. But the Environment Chief stressed that the main purpose is to enhance conservation efforts by better managing the area. So what do you think? Is there a win-win scenario for housing development and the environment? Is there a good way to free up usable land without harming the prized habitat for wildlife? After 9.15, we will look at the difficulties healthcare professionals face in increasing the uptake of potentially life-saving HPV vaccines. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 23388266. That's 23388266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have with us Albert Lai, the Director of the Conservancy Association, and Dr. Rita Lee, the Director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre at Xuyan University. Good morning to the both of you. Morning. And, uh, good morning. Morning, and uh, thank you for joining us on the programme. Um, let's start with you, Mr. Lai. Um, can you first tell us a bit about this study on the major, on the three major wetland parks? I mean, it was supposed to be completed in 2024, but now it's expected to be finished next year. Yes, uh, I think we need to first understand the history of this uh, wetland buffer area. Now, uh, we all know that um, the Hong Kong has two very valuable Ramsar uh, sites, which, which are the wetland conservation areas uh, around Maipo, 
Now, uh, in order to protect the ecological integrity of these areas, uh, there is a 500-meter-wide uh, land strip around this uh, wetland conservation area, and we call this wetland buffer area. Now, and this has been in place, you know, since around 1995. So throughout all these years, it has played uh, important functions um, to protect uh, the conservation area, the wetlands. Um, in fact, uh, the government has been reviewing this all the time. Um, and that, uh, you know, as late as last year, the government actually confirmed that, you know, the, these areas are very important and therefore the buffer zones uh, should not be uh, relaxed or allow for development. And, um, and therefore, uh, you know, this uh, review, in fact, is a bit alarming to, uh, to most green groups because, uh, I mean, what exactly does that review uh, want to achieve? Um, because at the moment, let's remember that out of the 1,000 hectares or so of this buffer area, already 40% of this area, over 40%, is actually about around 500, over 500 hectares, have already, already been sold uh, for development. So uh, I'm, I'm quite amazed at uh, Mr. Chair, the new secretary's comment that you know, he wants to achieve a balance between de development and conservation. I mean, we already have got a balance in those purposes. I mean, what do we want to achieve with this new study or new review by the government? But isn't that the point? The buffer zones are the buffer zones are, are, are not wetland areas, are they? They they are they are ordinary areas just with some restrictions on use in them. And the question is, how much restrictions you need to protect the wetland areas if they think they can change the balance slightly? Yes, well, we defined two areas, wetland conservation area and wetland buffer area. And together, they form part and parcel of the Ramsar sites. Right? So it's not that because buffer areas is not important. The reason why we designated it as, as, as buffer areas is exactly because any development in the buffer zones will likely affect uh, the, the wetlands. In, in, and therefore, in, they, yeah. yeah. In what ways? Maybe you could give some examples about how how um, the development in the buff areas for, could actually well, affect for, the for example, For example, I mean, as many studies that confirm, they say, if you build some high rises in the buffer areas, uh, then, you know, the, uh, the migratory burst, the water burst, you know, simply will not use the wetland areas anymore, or, or not less of them will use the, the, the wetland areas. So that will de decrease the ecological value of the wetland areas itself. So, so there are many examples like these uh, confirmed, not just by, uh, by the green growth, but actually confirmed, confirmed by the government, by strong uh, studies. Okay, so that makes sense. Sorry, you, that means that's why you have uh, low density, you have low, low plot ratios and so on, low density housing in the buffer areas. So basically the birds can fly over them.
Right. But, but like I mentioned uh, at the start of the program, the environment chief, uh, he, he stressed that the main purpose uh, of this uh, study of uh, redefining boundaries in the area is uh, to help uh, conservation. I mean, so, so from what you're saying, it, uh, will it, I mean, will it help in the area of conservation at all? Not at all. I'm afraid this is more like double speak um, to me. Um, when happening conservation means we need more protection, but it doesn't mean that we need more development. And as I said, over the years, government has considered time and time again to private interest. And that's why we already have got nearly 50% of the buffer zone areas designated as development area. Now, you know, we have gone through that, you know, over the past two decades. Um, so, so if you say, if, if the government is now going to review it uh, furthermore, you know, and uh, that means, that can only mean there will be more development. Can you imagine that, okay, you kick out all the development, we designate all the, all the rest of the development area back to conservation area? Can you imagine that will be the outcome of the review? Well, that would be, Based on history, it won't, it won't happen. That would be pointless. Then, then you'd have to have another buffer zone ar- around the buffer zone, wouldn't you? I mean, if you turned the whole area into conservation. So, I mean, the, po- the point about the buffer zone is, is, to, um, is to sort of be a halfway house, isn't it, between the no- normal, normal developed areas and, and, and the conservation area? Don't forget, the buffer zone is not designed by green groups. It's designed by the government over 30 years ago. And that is because... The government, after scientific studies, believed, has evidence to, to, to believe that, uh, you know, these buffer zones are important to protect the wetland areas, and that's why it exists. So if, if you now talk about, you know, cutting out buffer zones and become, a, you know, a thinner buffer zones, that can only mean that uh, uh, <laughs> the integrity of the wetlands will be degraded. Of course, uh, conservation is important, protecting wetlands is important, but also we are facing a housing shortage. I mean, housing people is also very, very important. Uh, Definitely. Yes. Yeah, so let's, let's Definitely. Bring in, let's... I, I, I'm quite happy to, to come to that point. I think that is a very important point. Housing is important. Now, what are we talking about here? At the, even if you develop the remaining of the wetland, uh, of buffer zones, you're talking about 500 hectares. Government has... Uh, talk about this time and time again. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of hectares of uh, brownfield sites, and then Hong Kong as a whole has only got around 20% of our land area developed. Um, so why are we so concerned about this 500 hectares? Can we easily find them? Uh, uh, the government actually has more than 500 hectares of idle government land. Uh, we can, I can show you on the map. Um, so, so that, well... Um, given that we all want more uh, land for housing development, you know, we just need to find a priority development land for housing, not go to conservation areas or, co- or buffer zones. All right. So let's just bring in uh, Dr. Lee and see what she thinks. Uh, Dr. Lee? Yeah. Uh, so, 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 yeah. So, let's, uh, so you've heard what uh, Mr. Lai has been saying. So uh, if, if boundaries are redefined and the northern wetland area is uh, better managed, I mean, do you think it will make it easier to, to strike the right balance between development and conservation? Well, uh, development and conservation is like um, is sort of like um, a, a hard issue uh, to to tackle, and then uh, a lot of people have also pointed out, like for example, what Mr. Lai has mentioned is like more, no matter what kind of the developments that exist in the 
ground field sites or uh, uh, no matter what kind of the development exists in the uh, wetland area, it actually causes some kind of a destruction no matter what. Because uh, uh, it, it, it can cause like, uh, those like, uh, birds that they do not fly over, for example. And then, uh, so actually from, uh, from our perspective is that, yes, uh, while the wetland buffer area can be one of the choices, uh, we will not say that uh, we, we, never, uh, we, dev- uh, we never develop anything on that. But at the same time is that, well, uh, we have got a priority. So the priority with regard to, like, for example, the increasing the land supply, why do we need to have sort of like this kind of development? Because we want to increase the, uh, land, uh, the land supply, right? And then uh, actually the urban renewal should be of the highest priority because like facilities are there, like transportation, schooling, uh, uh, shopping areas. So many people prefer to live in the urban areas. So like say, for instance, like To, Kwa Wan, Yomate, Mong, Kho, Shem, Shepo, et cetera, they are all along the MTR life and they have a lot of like old buildings. Some might now have like leaves that might be having like uh, building safety issues. So we call the old building collapse in the past, like uh, the one in the, in the Mata White Road. Uh, um, so actually the timely redevelopment can avoid the tra- uh, tragedy. And moreover, many uh, elderly living in, the, in these like old buildings, they have to climb up five of stairs, like for six stories, for example, in these buildings. It actually lowers their living quality. So if we try to consider the potential changes in the plot ratio when the new building is built on the same side, it changes from like six-story high to 15-story high. So the, real, the, uh, we do, uh, the, the urban renewal authority or the development might give them a new housing unit of similar size. So uh, that these owners, that they, are, they, they may have got a higher uh, motivation to, uh, to, to leave their, their, their own housing and then they can fasten the pace of development uh, due to some uh, owners that they do not want to give up their own housing units. And for those like renter, for example, they can be uh, allocated, reallocated with uh, a new public housing units. So this can, uh, uh, after all, they, that can like, speed up the whole redevelopment uh, process. And then, uh, so it means that probably, I would just say that the priority, we, we have got a priority. So we are not saying that we do not do anything on those like uh, wet areas or like uh, the green areas. But uh, if we try to consider this sort of places, probably that they have got uh, much more interest uh, in moving there. Because the housing development is not just about housing development. We have to consider other social issues, like for example, job opportunities, uh, good schools and then shopping, etc. So, uh, like for example, many years ago, if we talk about uh, the case like Tianshui, Wai, Tim, Wun, Chen, Wano, many people might not want to move there. But then, the main reason is that well, uh, these places that they are, they they were falling off like facilities, good facilities. They do not have like for example in Chen, Wano, they do not have uh, the MTR uh, stations. But then, so actually, people do not want to move there. Or Tianshui, where there is a lack of like job opportunities. So uh, when, when we consider like the buffer zones development in wetland area as a second choice, so after taking consideration is like transportation, etc. So when we try to develop the wetland, we have to take into these considerations as well. So whether or not the wetland has been like uh, destroyed and whether or not that they have got this kind of like facilities nearby, so if they have got uh, good transportation, if they have got uh, good schooling nearby, then these will be priority. As otherwise, then you just redevelop the place, but then uh, you just destroy the place more, <laughs> but then uh, the facilities cannot go hand in hand. So these are things that they have to consider uh, uh, much more deeply by the time that they, they make decisions on that. So you, you think the government is spending too much time sort of talking about these ideas about development in the new territories then, when they, they should really be focusing on the urban areas more? 
Yeah, I think they should actually focus on the urban area more because actually for the urban area, you can see there's so many places that they have got like old buildings, dilapidated buildings, and even one case that everybody have read the news about like the dilapidated where they have got a structural safety problem, and there's so many buildings that they have got similar problem. And then uh, so many elderly, like for example in Hong Kong, they may wish to actually leave their sites. They may want to leave their housing units, but if it's solved, like, unfortunately, that the urban renewal has never contacted them before. And then these buildings, however, they are they are obviously they are like very very short buildings, like for example six story high, and then the people have to climb up six story high every day. And then many of these who live there, they are poor. They uh, they may uh, uh, they may not want to like uh, climb. They sort of like uh, six stories high every day, so they actually want to leave. So if there's a case, why not we have we have to consider this sort of the case, and then we try to have got a win-win uh, solution for them. So uh, the the government has got a land for like rebuilding to like uh, for example 50 story high, and then while these people that they they can also like uh, have got a better living place like uh, the new building. I think I think they they are more than welcome to do You're... that because they have got lived. Afterwards. You're going to increase the density of population in what's already one of the, some of the most densely populated places on earth. Then, if you're building uh, 50 story buildings where there's six story buildings in just say Mongkok or maybe not Mongkok but uh, yeah. elsewhere in, in urban Kowloon, you're, you're, going to, you're going to make uh, it even more crowded, aren't you? Well, um, if you have been to Mongkok recently, I would just say that if you have been there recently, you may find that well, it's just like that there are like half of the people they are missing there. Well, that's <laughs> because sure of COVID, have, isn't it? I mean, every, people, people don't go out on the streets in the same way but i mean there's still just as many people there aren't there um, the well yes but there are a lot less you, you you may you may feel that if it's like at least half of them are missing so if it's what i have feel what what, what i felt by the time that i went to like mong kong yo Mate, and also sham shui recently so i find it's like probably because there are less tourists so uh, in the past there are a lot of tourists and then uh, probably that uh, some shops are closed already so uh, that is why that I, I I actually proposed this one because it, it is like quite obvious that we have got some changes, uh, very uh, very great changes in like Monaco or other places. So it's sort of like very obvious, and probably because the people were from home, so that you may found that actually those like traditional like uh, places where they have got like uh, office build, uh, offices etc. A lot of these offices that they have, like for example, in case of Monaco, originally they probably have got an office building. Uh, and then uh, you may you may find that there are a lot less people. So therefore, I think it is like um, uh, much more better, much more better in terms of like um, uh, developing the uh, the the wetland. Because for wetland, we have to consider like shopping, schooling. Because a lot of people, why they move to like for example the places like uh, uh, Town, for example, because they want to have got a good school net. So these sort of things that wetland area, I don't think that they have got this kind of provision of the facility. So after all, well, the buildings are there, and then the people have to like consider like uh, what kind of transportation they have to take, and then uh, so that it means that it may not be that uh, uh, that favorable to 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 many people by the time that we have to consider like job opportunities nearby. But then for Mongkok, well. There are a lot of people who work in the in the shops as well, so that there are a lot of job opportunities and then transportation is there. So, uh, uh, so uh, that may be a better choice. Your your idea of focusing on the urban areas, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it goes against what the whole government policy. They're talking about the northern metropolis, right? Is <laughs> is to opening up the northern new territories and increasing the population there, rather than rather than focusing on putting more people in existing urban areas. 
所以我哋有 lot of the other choices as well， like for the for example the land town， the new land town that they try to develop， so this sort of place that they can actually house a lot of people as well。So uh, for the northern uh, uh, metropolis, yes, I'm not saying that we should not develop there, but it is just like try to minimize so the impact there only. So if they have already got some destruction, so why not? If they have got like destruction plus that the facilities is nearby, that would be the highest priority. So what I'm saying is it's not it is not against the idea of like redevelopment、uh, of the development in the northern met- metropolises, but it is just like、uh, when we have got the priority. Then we can actually consider、uh, these sort of things. In particular, when the urban areas, there are so many buildings there. It's like、uh, over 50 years, but then they are dilapidated. Building safety issue. That is a very, very dangerous issue actually, because there are so many buildings that they have got the, the building safety issues. By the time it is like the, the the building is getting older, like about 50 50 years old. So this sort of things that I think it is the most important thing to change because、uh, no, matter, no matter what these buildings should be like uh, should, uh, should be uh, uh, demolished. So in that sense, that、um, these are actually the priority. Mr. Lai, what do you think of、uh, Dr. Lee's、uh, suggestion? Yeah, I think I think that the suggestion on on urban development, yes, this is well worth.、Uh, in fact, this is well worth pursuing. In fact, this is one key area that、uh, we should do now. But but um, but uh, prior to that, I would like to suggest that、um, let's don't take the assumption that Hong Kong does not have enough land for development. I know government is trying to pursue this line, you know, giving everyone the impression that ah,、oh, okay, we are really short of land, you know, we, you know, we really have to compete for land, and therefore we have to develop、uh, green belts and you know wetlands and reclamation and so on. But look,、uh, the government story has some big holes. If all the government plans go ahead, like、uh, you know the Lofton Metropolis or the、uh, Liu Lan Tower and so on. We are going to accommodate over nine million people in Hong Kong. Now look at our population. We are going through a population decline. We are not going through a population boom, not at all. I mean, this is supported by evidence. We are having a shrinking population over the last few years, and this is likely to be a ongoing trend. Right. So, so if that is the case, why do we need more land for development? We need to use our current land, land parcels, land you know, current sites more wisely, for sure. That right. We need to do better planning.、Uh, we need to build better housing and so on. But it doesn't mean that you know we are we are lacking of land. Not, you know. So I, I hope people do not take this government line for granted.、Uh, there's some big holes there, and that、uh, you know many people have pointed out time and time again. But obviously the government has. A, Bigger propaganda machine, so I'm afraid that this sort of idea has crept in to, for many people. But that is wrong. You're presumably opposed to the whole idea of the northern metropolis,、uh, Albert Lai.、Uh, well, it's just a matter of name. I mean, when I, if you remember, I, 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 on behalf of Professional Commons, over ten years ago, you know, we proposed a.、Uh, um, A secondary city centre、uh, at Kemsan Road, and that is near Yunnan, and that is a, you know, and that that in itself can house you know half a million people there, and the site is still there. In fact, the government is actually talking about that. They but they they put it in a different label now. They call it Lo- Lofton Metropolis. It doesn't matter, you know. 
we are quite happy for them, you know, to take away, you know, our original destination of the secondary city centre and put a label of Northern Metropolis there. That's, that's fine. But, but the essence is the same. We support certain development in, in NT and it's been a position all the time. And we are saying that this can be done by using the current idle government land and also the brownfields and also resuming some uh, village zone areas which again are laying idle. I mean, they, 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 they uh, definitely as, as V-zone, but it's actually not being used. So uh, there are many ways to, to, to steal the cats, uh, if I may say so. So, uh, but then uh, none of that requires uh, the uh, you know, resumption of ecologically sensitive areas like the wetland buffer areas. But your proposal is presumably nothing like the 300 square kilometres that the um, Northern Metropolis is. Mr. Lai, uh, we have to take a short break for the news. Um, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Albert Lai, the Director of the Conservancy Association. And uh, Dr. Lee, we can continue our discussion in a moment when we will be joined by Caesar Choi from the Liber Research Community. And uh, after 9.15, we will look at the difficulties healthcare professionals face in increasing the uptake of potentially life-saving HPV vaccines. And a quick look at the weather. It will be very hot and sunny with highs of around 35 degrees in the urban areas. The very hot weather the warning is in force and winds will be light to moderate southwesterlies. Right now it's 30 degrees, relative humidity 72%. Gichings and me, Janice Wong. If you're just tuning in now, we're talking about the future of Hong Kong's northern wetlands after the new Environment and Ecology Minister says a study of the ecologically sensitive areas in the northern new territories should be finished by the end of the year and authorities will take a fresh look at setting their boundaries. Still with us on the program is Dr. Rita Lee, the Director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre at Xuyan University. And joining us now is Caesar Choi, a researcher from the Liber Research Community. Good morning, Mr. Choi. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, I was just wondering if uh, Libra has done uh, much research on the northern wetland areas. I mean, are, are there a lot of scattered land or damaged plots there? Uh, yeah, we uh, Libra Research Community carried research uh, about the ownership of the private lots within the uh, wetland buffer areas and wetland conservation areas. And we noticed that there are a lot of uh, government. Uh, private developers hoarded land there. And that research was back in 2018. And recent years, within this one or two uh, recent years, we've seen a lot of uh, private developers' uh, applications that are struggling to um, get an ap- application permit within these areas as well, yeah. And uh, looking at uh, the study that we're talking about, do you think it's likely that uh, there'll be a significant amount of uh, buffer areas that can be released for housing development? Yeah, of course. Um, when we first heard about the news yesterday and the, um, that the uh, our new environment chief will uh, intend to redraw the area, the um, buffer area and conservation area, we wonder 
who and uh, to what purpose is, is this for? Because uh, if we look at the um, ownership pattern there, there are a lot of um, uh, government uh, developers hold the land. And so we wonder, would these withdrawing um, be drawn uh, according to their um, um, hold the land di distribution? And, and this uh, practice is questionable because it uh, defeats the planning purposes of the wetland buffer and the wetland conservation area, which is to protect the integrity of the whole zone to provide a buffer function to this um, our, um, the Ramsar site, which is of international importance. If we look at the birds and the um, ecology, they won't look at oh how you're gonna compensate for the um, development, which is uh, several stories high there. They just it, it just made an inroads into their ecology, which uh, which is important for their integrity. But of course, the counter argument uh, which has been put forward, I, I see actually some legislators raise this uh, in the Legislative Council. They say, well, these days, if you look at the um, uh, the fish ponds, uh, they, the, a lot of the fish ponds are deserted in a terrible state, and the freshwater fish farming has declined. So um, they question whether there is really as much as we think left to preserve already. Um, but it's very dangerous that uh, yesterday the environment chief didn't really mention how much would they um, 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 be uh, sown out and how much would be sown in as well. And again, it's not just about a number. It's not just a game of numbers. It's about a, the integrity of the whole buffer. The buffer, if you look at the um, original planning idea, it was drawn um, several hundred meters away from the Ramsar site. So we can see there is a kind of linear buffer significance to it. It's not just about a um, maybe a kind of wetland anchorage kind of area, uh, kind of concept. You, you're quite suspicious, aren't you, you that uh, the motivation behind this, you say that your studies, you, you notice that um, uh, developers hold a lot of land in these areas right. and you you seem to be sort of, you're worrying that uh, any change might be just to to benefit the developers. Yeah, because um, um, the environmental chief also mentioned that um, it was always the um, conservation uh, concept that is uh, stopping development, but it is really... The, quite the opposite. If you look at the um, damage and the, maybe the uh, unauthorized development throughout the years, many are suspected to be carried out by the um, you know different parties, and some may even have been suspected to be the developers themselves. So um, we wonder to what purposes are this um, uh, rezoning for? And it is if, we, if you think about it, it's quite a strange timing for. Uh, our environmental chief to uh, say things like this because, as you've mentioned, um, uh, relevant authorities are already carrying out the um, studies for how to maybe um, study the uh, the wetland buffer area. And if why 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 didn't he wait for the um, uh, study result to come out and just say this? And if we if he say this thing right now. It is really, we worry that it will trigger more um, damage and unauthorized development within the wetlands so that when the um, present authorities are studying, they, is it to say that if you destroy it now, we may um, zone it out from the wetland area so that they might get an uh, opportunity to development in the future?
Well, you raise a very interesting point there. You, you're saying that even by just by talking about this without changing the rules, you, you worry that just talking about this um, uh, can do damage because it encourages uh, developers to go ahead, um, uh, basically to try and change the fact what we'd say the facts on the ground, right? Yeah, it, it is a kind of it is a very dangerous move, and it's if you've already seen in previous. Um, um, some months ago, the government uh, was already talking. Uh, it, re- it already implemented a new resumption compensation rate, and it already and it already triggered quite some uh, activities in the wetland areas. If you look at the news. I'm not sure about uh, your point about the timing of his comment because uh, um, he, he just uh, took up his new post as the environment chief. So, so I guess it's not surprising for him to come out to actually uh, share his ideas with the media. Yeah, but um, if we, if we, if he, um, but it, it's it is quite surprising for for us because uh, as a as a new as an it, it is almost as if he was speaking as a um, developmental development bureau because um, he he was talking about development and in environment as well. So um, he he didn't he didn't come out and just. Um, emphasize the um, importance of the integrity of the whole wetland area. So it is really quite uh, questionable and quite surprising. Of course, all, all these uh, government ministers are new. They've only been in office a few weeks and we're still learning about them. Um, what you seem to be saying is you, you think the Secretary of for Environment and Ecology is off to a bad start. Yeah, of course, because the relevant um, authorities are already carrying the study, so we don't quite see the they really the need to 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 really uh, kind of try and we suspect that it would um, it might it might exert pressure on the authority to you know somehow affect their uh, report. And if you're saying he's talk, he seems to be talking more about the development interest rather than the environmental interest. Are, yeah. are you worried that this is sort of setting the tone for um, uh, how the, the the new government might behave in this area? Maybe not just on this issue, on other issues as well. Um, yeah, the, the, actually, there's uh, already actually um, because it was quite a stark uh, contrast to um, the. Um, from maybe a year ago, when uh, in 2021 March, uh, when our development secretary Wong uh, Wailan, uh, he, he was responding to um, legislative councillors' uh, question of whether and uh, the government would change the boundary of the wetland buffer area. They said they currently have no plan for it. But just an uh, just a um, a year after year and a half after uh, our new environmental chief and not just talking about rezoning the uh, wetland buffer area but even the wetland conservation area and that is quite an advanced move from uh, previous practices. All right, let us go to uh, Dr. Lee for a moment. Um, Dr. Lee? Yeah. So just now uh, Mr. Choi here, he, he's uh, to- he's uh, shared his concerns. I mean, but uh, is I mean, can we talk about development and conservation at the same time? Why do why why is uh, why do we have to just say, oh, if the government is talking about development, that means they don't care about conservation? Why can't they be? Uh, why can't we discuss them together? I mean, can't they coexist? 
Well, uh, we always say that we want to like strive a balance between development and also conservation because we actually don't. Uh, I mean, uh, 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 for any city development, we don't want to be like uh, just like a, a a jungle, just like a forest as before, because as otherwise there would be like no economic activities and then the people who cannot find enough housing. But then, uh, if we try to talk about like uh, how we can minimize the uh, the impacts, for example, uh, low rise uh, uh, low rise building of course is much more better than the high rise building. So uh, in that sense, that means that probably that in case like the low rise building, probably some people that they live there, they can take care of the wetland as well. So it means that they are they are they are just like uh, the the one who try to do something for the wetland. So if that's the case, then of course we can also house people, some people there, and then uh, uh, and then for the for the housing there, uh, special design is very important because uh, in the past uh, in some of the other wetland areas in uh, in like UK or Australia, they actually use a more or less similar uh, similar strategies. They they try to. Uh, build something there, but then uh, at the same time, instead they try to minimize the uh, the, uh, uh, the negative impact. Say, for instance, uh, for the uh, for the buildings uh, that they have got some sort of like uh, vertical garden. But then, uh, but apart from that, uh, apart from that, by the time that we talk about like this sort of the uh, redevelopment, that uh, the environmental impact assessment has to be taken very seriously. So uh, they have to consider. Like, uh, for example, uh, uh, um, what level of destruction that is presently available, that that is presently exist. But at the same time, is that uh, what uh, what the uh, uh, what uh, Lipa has mentioned about like uh, the destruction from the uh, developer and also from uh, some other people else that it has to be uh, taken very seriously, where they. Um, uh, where we have to where we have to uh, uh, minimize this sort of like uh, human destruction, so that by the time they destroy the land, then they, the wetland can be built. So it's also another thing for which it is like worth to consider as well, because uh, as otherwise, then there is there uh, there were some of the previous cases where the wetland obviously uh, that they have got like some fire set by uh, some people, and then uh, these sort of things that like, we we have to we we have to avoid as far as possible as well, because uh, we. That sort of things that it, it will cause like damage to the wetland at the same time that it cannot be reversible. So that uh, this sort of things that we have to consider as well. But I, I, what, I, what I think is that the pleasant moment of like inadequate housing is actually not mainly because of like low land, but because of like lack of standardization in the housing development requirements. So, uh, like for example, in case of like my poll, for example, many years ago, by the time I studied the time planning, that what they say is that well, the Henderson land and also the uh, the government departments that they have got more than decades of. Uh, uh, discussion about like the, the those like uh, the land that they, they have to redevelop, and then uh, so after decades of time, they finally settle, and then Henderson land can 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 use the land. But then what we have seen is that actually the whole process is very long, and then moreover, there's a different government departments they have got different or even like contradictory requirements. So this problem has to be like addressed, like no matter whether or not it's related to like the sort of the wetland area or like brownfield. So that it will have got a much more timely uh, uh, usage of the land, uh, rather than that we, we try to like find our ten thousand pieces of land, but then all these have to take like another 30, 30 years of time to to do some uh, to do something before they can be built. So there is a uh, there is a thing for which we have to solve 
Uh, before any anything else. All right. I have an email here from David. He says um, there are stacks of land in Hong Kong. It is just the government. It's just that the government take uh, takes three or four years to allow village houses to be built. The only reason they want to build new property is for job creation, because construction is one of the only works and job creation there is in Hong Kong. He goes on to say we need to start building factories for local manufacturing. And uh, that email is from David. And then uh, there's another email from David. And he says, uh, there are many little bits of government land that the government has ordered people to pull down illegal houses. And they just sit there barren with a big lump of concrete and a fence around them. What's the point of telling people to pull their houses down when they don't build new ones on there? And uh, that email is from David. Um, Dr. Lee, what do you think? I mean, uh, yeah, do you have a response to, to his email? Well, um, the pull down of the housing for the illegal uh, building structures uh, is actually also one of the things that we have to consider as well. Because in the urban area, that we have got so many housing that they have um, the illegal building structures, subdivided housing units. So this sort of the buildings that they 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 maybe they they have to be pulled down before uh, before other building structures as well. Because there are so many subdivided housing units where they have got the uh, they have got extra loading, and then not only extra loading, but also like the fire services that they have. They may have got problem as well. So I think there are so many buildings that is like we have to consider to to uh, like uh, we develop before we, we we talk about like those like wetland areas because for the wetland area, there are a lot of things that we have to do. And like for example, in the current like wetland areas, they have got like uh, eighteen years, uh, eighteen months of time for. Uh, uh, if they wish to like uh, take the environmental impact assessment for the short one, for the long one, it's like 24 months of time, like to take care of the environmental impact assessment only. So, if there's a case, and this sort of, uh, if we try to compare, like for example, um, those like uh, uh, illegal building structures that we have to maybe the first thing that we have to deal with these sort of the buildings first. <laughs> so try to take uh, try to see like what kind of the uh, uh, if there is like, these sort of like building structures that they have got like, illegal activities, uh, illegal building structures and then uh, maybe pull down these buildings first. Let's go back to uh, Cesar Choi for some final thoughts yeah. on this this uh, subject. Uh, Cesar Choi, you are uh, very, very opposed to building in the wetland buffer areas, but you presumably uh, agree, and the Libra Research com- uh, community agree, we do need to find more space for housing somewhere. So where would you advocate it if not in the wetland buffer areas? Yeah, actually, a lot of talks about the long process of the development um, that, uh, that takes for the development. It... Um, didn't didn't it, it's quite hiding the fact that we in Hong Kong didn't have to stoop to that area where we had to make use of uh, ecological sensitive areas as our uh, liberal previous reasons has shown there are a lot of still um, brownfields and vacant government land that has not been used to their most uh, efficiency so before that I don't think we have to stoop to that level to um, try to try to um, try to um, Make use of the uh, wetland area, and there were and the time it takes for the environmental assessment is that because there was a set framework for that because it was a, exactly because it was ecological sensitive, and if you have to uh, capitalize on that, you have to fulfill certain requirements, and 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 basically, I don't think it is for me personally. I don't think it's really necessary to stoop to that level to make use of that, and. And so it is more a problem of um, 
allocation, but not really a um, matter of um, quantity. And as the government has constantly been doing, they've been they've been finding lands in urban areas, and we didn't have to go to the wetlands. All right, uh, Mr. Choi, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Cesar Choi, a researcher from the Liber Research Community. Many thanks also to Dr. Rita Lee, the Director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre at Zhuyan University. It's now 20 minutes past nine and it's time for us to turn to our next topic. And it's about a new study by the Chinese University on the uptake of the potentially life-saving HPV vaccines. For more details, we're now joined by Dr. Dorothy Chan from the Chinese University. Who's in charge of the study? Good morning, Dr. Chan. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, before we get to the findings of your study, can you first explain why you decided to focus on uh, South Asian ethnic minorities in, in your study? Mm, so um, the reason why, why I would like to focus on the South Asian is that um, 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 I, I have worked on this topic for. Uh, I mean, on salvation from, for around 10 years. And in the past 10 years of work, we noticed that salvation actually met a lot of barriers in accessing or using the healthcare services. And, and in, in the past three years, I start to work on the issue about cancer prevention, especially on HPV vaccination. And I have a chance to um, go to some um, secondary schools and notice that um, uh, the non-Chinese speaking students, especially the ethnic minority, um, so I, they revealed that they did not have any information about cervical cancer, HPV vaccine. And when, I, when we asked about their vaccination status, only two out of 20 of them have ever received the vaccine. So this, this uh, stimulates uh, our thought is uh, whether the, the, the uptake is um, a bit lower than the general population and whether there exists um, uh, factors influencing their vaccine uptake. And, and for those, um, those of our listeners who don't have teenage daughters or maybe less familiar with the issue, maybe you could just briefly explain why HPV vaccination is, is so crucial. So HPV vaccine actually um, helps to, to um, uh, it's safe and effective to prevent the HPV infection and hence later on prevent the development of the cervical cancer because, because HPV actually is the major cause of cervical cancer. So if the girls that can receive the vaccine early, it can target those high-risk HPV virus. And so this decreases their chance in um, getting, um, for example, the HPV infection and enhance the cervical cancer. And it's not part of the government childhood vaccination scheme, right? That the government doesn't pay, <coughs> doesn't automatically pay for these vaccinations for children. So for um, for this vaccine, actually, um, in two one two two o one nine, um, the the school years, this government had added this vaccine into the Hong Kong. Uh, the Hong Kong Childhood Immunization Program okay. since 2019. So they offered this to the uh, primary five and primary six um, female students in Hong Kong. But in before 2019, um, the government tried to offer this through the community care fund, the 
pilot scheme to the low-income family. That, that, that one is a trial and to see whether the, the girls in Hong Kong are willing to have um, to take this vaccine. And so um, in, in that, in the community care fund, that scheme, actually that, that benefits a certain number of the girls. And so later on, they offered this vaccine into the Hong Kong Childhood Immunizational Program. But before 2016, actually, this vaccine is not subsidized by any parties. Um, and for those girls now, for example, if they miss the um, vaccination program and when they are in primary five or six, for example, like when they promoted to the secondary school, so they, they do not have any subsidies if they want to take the vaccine now. All right. Let's just go back to your study, uh, Dr. Chan. Uh, what did you actually find? So in our study, we find um, the ethnic minority actually met a number of challenges when uh, I, I should say it's the South Asian mother met a number of challenges when they make the decision uh, whether their daughters should receive the vaccine or not. So we found that um, seven major factors affecting their uptake, like the lack of awareness and knowledge about cervical cancer, HPV vaccine, um, the concern about the vaccine safety and the side effects, the cause issue. Um, lack of recommendation from the healthcare professionals, whether um, the, their family support the decision, um, some religious and cultural related factors, and lastly, it's about the language barrier in accessing or using the health services. Yes, that's quite alarming. I, I saw in your study uh, a number of uh, the families were saying they, they will have difficulty finding English-speaking, English, even those who can speak, speak reasonable English, they have difficulty finding English-speaking staff to deal with. Yeah. So in, in our interview, one of the mothers, they, she expressed that when she wants to have to make the appointment for her daughter. However, when when the when she phone call the party, and the one who take up the phone is uh, Chinese speaking and not proficient in using English, so she wait long to uh, for for the staff arrangement. But finally, she failed to do so. So our our participants did express they they encountered difficulty when they met someone who who are not proficient in using English, and and at the same time, if they the staff do not arrange an interpreter to help them. They also find it difficult to make an appointment. So not only on the issue of the vaccination status, but also when they use other healthcare services. Right. And earlier you mentioned uh, that the uh, the uptake rate of uh, this HPV vaccine among uh, South Asian minorities is uh, quite low. Exactly how low is it? So um, um, in our study, actually we in um, interview around 73 South Asian mothers and 12 Chinese mothers. So I should say um, among these numbers, so we, we try to review the up, uh, vaccine uptake status. So we notice among the um, um, 73 South Asian mothers, um, only 21 three percent of the of their daughters received the vaccine and among the Chinese mother actually is 25 percent so it seems that the, the percentage is quite similar but when we break down the South Asian groups into Indian Pakistani and the Nepalese um, we, we, we noticed that the Pakistani group had a comparatively lower uptake and we when we calculate the number is only two out of 24 of the Pakistani participants um, mentioned that their girls have ever had the vaccine uptake, which is around 8%. So what's your recommendation? I mean, apart from obviously having um, English-speaking medical staff, but more generally in terms of encouraging uh, the, these groups to, um, to, to get the vaccines for their daughters. So 
our recommendation is is um, to see whether the government is possible to um, allocate more resources in terms of the provision of the interpretation services. So although we know in Hong Kong there are um, uh, two major uh, uh, organizations or the um, social enterprise, actually they are providing the interpretation services, but it seems the number of interpreters is not still not enough, especially um, when we talk about assessing healthcare services. If we have a medical interpreter, this is very important because the, inter- inter- the medical interpreter actually can help uh, help the participant, the self-patient, to understand what the door uh, the healthcare professional are, deliver, are delivering the important messages. So we, we suggest or we recommend the government or um, or if there are any resources to increase the um, um, uh, training for the medical interpreter in Hong Kong. Right. How many do we, I mean, do, does the government have any medical interpreters or how many do we have right now? Actually, the number is... Um, <laughs> um, uh, um, I, I can't tell you um, the exact number because when we ask the, 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 those are provi- providing um, the, the, the centers or the organization providing the interpreter services, actually, um, uh, we, 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 they, they will tell us the number is, not, is fluctuating and sometimes small, sometimes it's less, so we can't say, uh, tell the exact number. But from our participants, they, they usually mention that when they want to arrange the interpretation services, the service is not guaranteed because um, sometimes there is lack of interpreter or the interpreter is not available to help them, um, um, to accompany them to uh, attend the healthcare services. So um, in that case, uh, the, the salvation models uh, need to seek help from the husband um, to help in interpretation. All right, uh, Dr. Chan, we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Dorothy Chan from the Chinese University's Nethersall School, School of Nursing. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed back chat today and to my co-host Danny Gittings and my producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather. It will be very hot and sunny. The very hot weather warning is in force. Highs expected today of around 35 degrees in the urban areas. Winds light to moderate southwesterlies. And the outlook staying very hot and sunny this week and early next week. Isolated showers over the weekend. Right now it's 30 degrees, relative humidity 68%. Brain, heart, lungs, liver, stomach. There are two more major organs at the back. Kidneys are low-key by nature. One in ten people suffer from kidney disease to varying degrees. Those with diabetes or high blood pressure or with family or past history of kidney disease are more at risk. It can be completely asymptomatic in the early stage. Regular checkups can help detect kidney disease early to avoid kidney failure. Let's care more about the kidneys for better kidney.